The NBA playoffs are here, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets for your favorite team's games. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek will let you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year. SeatGeek's going to get you closer to the action for a great value. I've got SeatGeek on my phone. It's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets, and you can get tickets to everything. Games, concerts, events, you name it, it's on there. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and get amazing deals. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, and you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add Promo Code. Enter the promo code RINGERNBA. SeatGeek will send you $20 once you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code RINGERNBA today. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I'm Chris Varney and joining me as he does every Tuesday from the ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Senior, blow it up, blow it up. A.k.a. Senior, Senior TNT, a.k.a. Dr. Explosive, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber. <laughs> Kevin O'Bomber joining me on the show. <laughs> blow it up. <laughs> Blow it up. That's a way better intro than you've ever given me, Chris. That was amazing. You're welcome. Uh, so here we go. Uh, before we get into blowing up everybody not named the Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors, let's talk about where all these series are right now. Golden State took care of business against Utah last night. Draymond had a triple-double. Uh, Kevin, this was... Whatever the opposite of competition is, that's what we are getting uh, in these NBA playoffs. And this was the most stark example. The Warriors were up by 20 or more points in 67 postseason minutes. They have been trailing for 56. So they have they have spent 11 more minutes up by 20 points against their opponents than they have uh, being down. Uh, what do we make of what took place between Golden State and Utah, was that more about Golden State or more about the Jazz? What do you think? Just boring. That's what I make of it, man. Just boring. Boring. Like, you you could be a fan, like a hardcore NBA fan, and you could be okay with not watching any of those first eight Golden State Warriors playoff games. Because really, like, we're just waiting for the next round, whether it's the Rockets or the Spurs, who can be a, a true challenger to them. And then after that, even then, it could still be a sweep next round for that matter. I, I just think, you know, it's more about the Warriors. that They have, you know, a borderline unstoppable roster. Four superstars. who you know they can keep two of them on the floor at all times if they want to it's it's all about them i mean utah's got a really really good team but it just shows how far separated everybody else is from the golden state warriors and in many ways it's amazing to watch it's remarkable really in other ways it's just kind of like why why bother tuning in last night okay uh first things first the fallout i mean right after the game i even tweeted this like sports illustrated was like and the Warriors have beaten the Jazz. And did the uh, Gordon Hayward's a, a free agent this summer? Did the Jazz just say goodbye to their franchise player? And I was like, "Damn, man, will you at least let them like handle the loss?" Like, you when, when if you're a real fan, you go through 82 games of living and dying with a team, and then you go to the playoffs, and this is the best Jazz season in a long, long time. And it's like the buzzer sounds, and it's like, "Hey." Your favorite player and your best guy may be going somewhere else. Like, geez, Louise, man, can I, can I just, can I just be upset about the season ending for a second before I got to think about maybe Gordon Hayward going somewhere else? Um, what do you think? Do you think the way that that played out affects whether Gordon Hayward stays in Utah or not? I have a hard time, you know, with Hayward because I, I think I think Utah is clearly like one of the best destinations for him. Like, you know, it's it's obvious why staying in Utah makes a whole lot of sense. They have a terrific roster there with the ability to get better. Uh, they they can still re-sign Hayward and retain cap space in the future. They could get better, but at the same time, if you're Gordon Hayward. 
maybe you still feel the pull, you know, with your relationship with Brad Stevens. I, I've been reading recently people say, oh, Gordon Hayward's been coached more years by Quinn Snyder than he's been coached by Brad Stevens. And it's like, yeah, but he has a longer human relationship with Brad Stevens that goes back to high school when he was getting recruited. They've known each other for years. And so I wonder maybe is that pull in addition to the fact that, you know, the Eastern Conference has a, a little bit of an easier path to the, the Eastern Conference finals. Is that more appealing for Hayward? Maybe. And then, then there's lifestyle choices. There's family choices. We don't know a damn thing about, you know, what he wants for um, him and his family as they really enter a new stage of their life. That's something that we, we can't even begin to speculate about, which I think really will be the factors that end up the decision makers for most free agents, not just Gordon Hayward. So I think Utah is appealing, but why wouldn't Boston be or if like San Antonio if the, for whatever reason they decided to make cap space for him like teams like that that we don't expect in addition to Boston who's obvious there's got to be other options that that appeal to him too okay let me ask you is it a hundred percent no-brainer on the jazz side that you just give him literally the maximum amount of money you can yeah, I think it's 100%, and it's 100% that they get to feed him the ball more next season. I think he can be more. You know, we talked about this before when I wrote wrote the article on Hayward. I think he can do more when he's given more responsibility, and I, I think they should give that to him in addition to the money. Why is this not? Let me play devil's advocate to your blow-it-up stuff, okay? And we'll, we'll start this early. Why is this not just the the way it all begins, the pre-stages of Kevin O'Connor is going to write in four years – that they need to blow it up, that it seems to me that your criterion is having the guy, if he's not one of the best guys in the world, top five, top ten, and I don't think anybody would argue that Gordon Hayward's a top ten player right now, that you're locking yourself into your best player, theoretically, especially the guy that you give the most money to, being that level of player, like the George, like the Butler, like the Millsap, whoever you want to say, right? And so – if I'm Kevin O'Connor, why don't I just preemptively say, well, hell, I'm not going to be able to win a championship with Gordon Hayward as my best player, so why am I even re-signing him to a massive contract? So shout out to Patrick O'Brien who tweeted something a little bit earlier, you know, kind of, you know, alluding to the same thing. And that's a totally fair point, Chris. Uh, I think I just think it simply breaks down to this. You know, I, I said this to Patrick when he tweeted me with it and I'll say it to you, you know, to compare them against the Raptors. The Jazz have a young core. The Raptors have an old core. The Jazz can even retain cap flexibility even after re-signing Gordon Hayward. The Raptors can't. It's as simple as that. That that's the most. That's one of the most important part of the like the blow it up formula, if you want to call it that. Is that can you retain cap and asset flexibility and the, the ability to continue building on top of what you already have? The Raptors are going to be really handcuffed against the cap if they if they roll it back with their roster. The Utah Jazz can re-sign Gordon Hayward and they won't be. They 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 depend. Depending on the other deals they give play, other players like George Hill and whatnot, they might be against the cap, and then they, then they could potentially be, you know, maybe they're on, in the conversation where in a couple years we are talking about them that they should consider blowing it up. But I don't think so. I think that they still have a young core. Their guys aren't into their thirties um, like Lowry is. Um, Hayward is still in his mid twenties. Rudy Gobert is still in, in his low twenties. They they have a young team that can continue growing and getting better. And I'm not convinced that Hayward's done getting better either. He's gotten better every single year of his career. I don't think he's done improving either because a lot of it has to do with responsibility and opportunity. That's why I'm saying they got to feed him the damn ball i think he can do more with more responsibility so i think they have room to grow and i i would not at all i would be disappointed you know for them if they lost gordon hayward because that team has growth potential they're they're not at the best that they can be right now it seemed like one of the ways that you were talking about uh, clearly at attaining a an outstanding player was the idea behind just saying okay we're going to and and blow it up is obviously extreme but rebuild Right. We're going to we're going to take a step back in order to take five steps forward later down the road. But part of the reason or part of the way to do that in 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 the theory that you laid out was by getting a high draft pick. But I just I I wonder if like when I look up and down and let's just say the Eastern Conference, okay? because you mentioned the Raptors. Let's just say the Eastern Conference. There's 12 players on the all star team, not in counting. Carmelo Anthony's uh, addition to that team. So there's 12 players on that roster, right? Six of them were lottery picks. Six of them were not. 
So the idea, it, it to me, it's about nailing the draft necessarily. And I, I understand that theoretically you should have a much better chance at getting a better player when you have a lottery pick. But it stands to reason that in the Eastern Conference, Giannis was not a lottery pick. Uh, Jimmy Butler wasn't a lottery pick. Isaiah Thomas wasn't a lottery pick. Kyle Lowry wasn't a lottery pick. Paul George wasn't a lottery. Paul George might have been on the very fringe. Um, And then Paul Millsap. He's like 11th or something. Okay, okay. So uh, so I take that back. George was. So it would be seven and five. Seven of them were lottery picks. Kyrie, DeRozan, LeBron, Wall, Kevin Love, Kemba Walker. And then the other ones weren't. So even if I look at who were deemed the best players in the conference this past year, you know, half of them weren't taken in the lottery. So that's the other thing, right? It's so – I think it, if, the, if the idea is to get a great, great player, it's hard to convince me that your percentages go up exponentially by – that it's worth the risk of being really crappy because – what we're finding is that there's a lot of players that aren't drafted in the lottery that become the great players now. And I don't know if that was always so. And I don't know if people have gotten worse at drafting or what, but that's true, right? Okay, so a lot of those players you listed. So, you know, of those teams and of those players, I don't think all of those teams should blow it up. I, I don't. Like I, I mentioned in the article yesterday on The Ringer that, you know, there's teams, like I said with Utah Jazz, if they have growth potential, if they have cap space, draft picks, whatever else, if they retain flexibility, those teams shouldn't blow it up. There are only six teams that I think should blow it up or should have blown it up in the NBA. And the thing is, is like one of my main points, you know, with the Toronto Raptors is with the roster that they would have if they re-sign everybody, which they won't. Masai Ujiri said this morning at his press conference, like right before we got on this, that it's not realistic to bring back all the free agents. That's one thing he said today. And he mentioned needing a culture reset, looking at the that the style of play needs a reset. And I think he I think what, what he said today really backs up a lot of what I wrote two months ago in March with that article. But my, my point is, it's kind of, you know, bring this back to your question, is my my thing is, it's like, you're not going to win a championship when DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry is your best player. I want to trade up from those guys. I want to swing from, you know, a second-tiered player to a first-tier player. And they're 100% right, Chris. There are no damn guarantees. You could theoretically, if you're the Toronto Raptors, Resign Kyle Lowry, you know, bring everybody back and then trade them all in, you know, in January or February. Theoretically, you could load up the next few years, get a ton of draft picks and not win the lottery any of those years. That's possible. That's 100% possible. We've seen what happened with the Sixers. They got that franchise changing player in Joel Embiid, and he just happens to unfortunately be an injury prone injury prone player. Hopefully that he doesn't stay injury prone, but right now it appears that way. Ben Simmons, I think he's a level below that, um, but he does have a chance to become one of those guys. They ha- they've put they did it to an extreme level. I don't think teams necessarily need to go that far when I say blow it up. But theoretically, Toronto could load up with picks and it wouldn't work. But in another world maybe it does and and maybe you do get that player who sets your team up for the decade of actual championship contention and that's all i care about i i don't want to play a basketball game to lose by four points every time i play i want to play the game to win whether it's a, a single game or a season i don't i don't care about anything other than championships okay all right and it, all right. And it oh, amazes yeah, me that pe- people that people do care about less than that all that matters is winning championships making the playoffs like Masai Ujiri said today, making the playoffs means nothing. It's all about titles and championships. Okay, that's stupid. But uh, let me, why so, is it stupid? That's it, it, all that matters. I don't want to hang division banners. That that's stupid. Hanging a division banner is dumb. I'm sure Masai Ujiri looks up at the banners in Toronto and he's like, "Why are we hanging those stupid ass things? Because they don't mean anything." Okay, what I nothing. would tell you, you could hang a piece of blank cloth, and, okay, that, talk, and it would mean just as much. Talk as a to division Toronto banner. fans, Kevin. Talk to Toronto fans. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think you ask some Toronto fans, they they wouldn't be on your side. That yes, the division banner is a sign that we had great success not during the regular divi- season. It's not about a division. Playoffs. And then there's ban- others who are like, "This sucks. Every year we lose in April, May, or June." Every year, this sucks. There will be fans okay. who say that too, because, well, because let me, some fans. All right, then they need to heed what their star told them. 
which is, hey, guess what? If we had LeBron James, we would have won too. I mean, wake the hell up, man. You're not winning with him in the conference. It's not happening. So now. Exactly. So blow it up. So <laughs> blow it up when you still can and build for three years from now. You're not going to win in the next three years. You're just wasting your damn time. It's Everybody all about the in the view, conference man. is wasting their time, Kevin. Everybody. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> if every other team in the Eastern Conference says, you know what, to hell with it, we're not going to put out a competitive product because we can't beat LeBron anyway. Where if I'm Toronto. If the bar is we can't beat LeBron, then so be it, all right? But the idea that Toronto could have been, it's possible, the second-best team in the conference. Now, they had to draw Cleveland a little bit earlier, and we'll see if Boston or Washington is way more competitive with them. But it's possible that Toronto was the second-best team. It's possible that Cleveland is that much better than number two, number three, and number four in that conference. But this is an entertainment business. You look at it simply as a competitive business. But there are people that have to go to games. There are people that have to watch the product on television. And so the idea that anything short of getting a ring is worthless worthless, is just fucking stupid. That all of these teams (laughs) have to be able – you can't just say, hey – we're not going to be able to beat the Warriors. We're not going to be able to beat them. So we should just abandon whatever we have right now because it's not good enough. That's not what and I'm saying. Be- That's because, not what I'm saying, though. Because who cares if we had success? We didn't have ultimate success. Some of the most beloved teams in NBA history were not champions. Teams that we look back at and we go, damn, man, that was fun. Whether it is... The era in Memphis. When we go back, I saw them honoring the, the the Warriors team with Baron Davis and Steven Jackson and all of them that won as an eight seed years ago. There's some of these teams throughout NBA history that were beloved teams. Those Knicks teams, those guys go back into the garden and people worship them. They didn't win. There's no banner hanging up for their championship that I recall. Is there a Knicks championship banner that I'm missing? Those teams are beloved. They are held up as a great team. That the, the the Celtics team that last night everybody tuned in for KG. They won one championship. They won one. That was like and they won a championship. And they if they did, didn't win the championship, it would have been a disappointing era. It would not have been a disappointing era. What are we talking about? The disappointing whole, era? Okay, look, Chris, look, the thing is, is I'm not saying every team should blow it up like Toronto. I, I've only said that six teams should or could have blown it up. There's the other 24 teams in the league, I'm saying, should continue pursuing you know, their path to greatness. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying the Celtics should blow it up. I'm not saying the Wizards should. I'm not saying the Bucks should. Those teams could should, could, could, should continue building and trying to make themselves a championship-level team. That's that's the competition. Those are the teams to remember. I'm only handpicking a couple teams based on a long list of prerequisites, you know, that I discussed in the article that I think should blow it up and and try to have a, a better, stronger run three years from now. I, I'm not saying every team should blow it up because they have no hope. Every team can be memorable. Raptors fans are going to look back on this era and remember it so fondly. The DeMar DeRozan. Kyle Lowry era is one of the best times in Raptors history because they made a strong run. But guess what? It's kind of fizzled out. It really has. And no, no, at this no, point, I what think Masai Jerry's word. What I'm arguing with you is the idea that it was worthless. The idea that you don't care about it, the, it, they it, didn't, it wasn't worthless. It, it wasn't, but it, but going forward, yeah, it is. That's that's my argument. It wasn't worthless the last four years, but it is. But going forward, I think you're just running into a wall unless you make big time changes. Okay, it's here's going what I would forward, say. Looking ahead, looking back, it totally wasn't. It was a hundred percent worth it, and you know it'll memories people have forever. But the next three years, I'll tell you what, if they get bounced three years in a row again, it'll actually be five years in a row because they lost the last this year and last year versus Cleveland. If they get bounced by Cleveland the next three years, running back the team, Lowry and DeRozan, fans are going to remember this era fondly, but they're also going to think, shit, man, like maybe we would have been better, you know, pressing the reset button so when Lowry wasn't 35 years old and DeRozan wasn't into his 30s, we didn't enter another long losing era. And that's the fear. That's the fear. One of the things Masai Ujiri said at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference that I found fascinating was that, like, you know, the you need to think about the now, right? you know, building the, the team that can be the strongest to win a championship now. But one of the things that he said, he needs to think about long-term. 
you know, if he ever leaves, you know, his job or he gets let go, he needs to put the team into the best position for sustainable success long term. That means having young players and build, building young in the back of the roster. That's one thing he's done a good job at. But I think in order to really set themselves up for that post Lowry DeRozan era, which could be here in five years if they bring him back or sooner if they trade him. I think you need to think about big time changes moving forward to set yourself up for longer sustained sex success in the future. Okay. Longer sustained sex was even funnier, by the way. I like that better than success. That you needed to Is that what I said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that much better. That seemed much oh, more. Shit. That seemed much that was more. Good. That, seemed, <laughs> that seemed much more fun. Uh, um, I, I, I'm arguing. I'm I arguing. You have with, to just clip that. Clip that. Those words out. <laughs> I, 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 I can't wait to hear that back now. <laughs> no, you're. It, Tate, you're leaving that in. So here's the thing. I agree with you on Toronto in the sense that now there is a choice to make on Lowry and DeRozan, and running it back with Lowry and DeRozan might be an error, and certainly with Ibaka and Patterson and all these guys that they've got to make decisions on. Their big mistake, by the way, in my opinion, is Carroll. That's the big mistake. Possibly Valanchunas now that the league's gone the way it has. But the big mistake is Carroll. If you had a better player for that money in that spot, you've got. I think you could have a different situation. It is a very difficult proposition for me, though, because the bar is LeBron, Right. That's what you're trying to beat right now. And frankly, what, it, there's no reason to believe that that's not going to be the case three years from now. He just averaged 35 points. or I, I'm sorry, he scored over 35 points in every game. And you went out in the offseason or during the season and tried to get guys that could deal with him like a P.J. Tucker. And it just couldn't be dealt with. And so... In three years from now, if it's LeBron and Love and Kyrie or whoever, because free agents are going to want to come there and play with him, then or, or or not mind being traded there, I still think you're you know for a decade every other team that is building with the idea of trying to beat LeBron, and I don't know how. I just I'm I'm still now at the point where how long does the view have to be where you're thinking? okay, we're going to be able to beat this guy. Uh, And so you build the best you can, and Toronto now has to make decisions. I am – this is a very, 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 very hard one for me. I am a way bigger Lowry fan than I am a DeRozan fan. I think you can win with Kyle Lowry. Kyle's – I think he's 31, and somebody's going to pay him a ton of money, right? I mean, like you're – you're going to have to ante up if you want to keep him. But I think it would be – it's hard. He just turned 31, to be clear. So you'd have him until what? If you give him five years, good grief. I mean, you're talking about 36. That's not – it's not crazy, but diminutive point guards scary. Typically, typically don't age very well. But I do like him more than DeRozan. I do. I'm higher on him than DeRozan. And I think if I think it's harder to have a shitty team with Kyle Lowry than it is with DeMar DeRozan. That's what I'd say. And I mean, I don't know DeRozan's what you do. tough, man. He can't shoot threes. He I can't shoot threes. I, I just don't know what you do. I don't know what you do if you're if you're Toronto with with the Lowry deal. Do you ante up for Kyle? So in the article two months ago on the on the ringer, you know, you know, should the Raptors blow it up or whatever, you know, my my thought was like, you know, bring back Lowry and try to make other big moves this summer, you know, using your picks or whatever, you know, maybe you nail it with your, you know, your pick, but if you don't, you go into next season, you know, with the mindset, try to compete, but it's not, you know, you know, in the back of your mind, it's not going to be any different. So really, you're you're shopping Lowry and DeRozan as soon as you know you can in January, February. And that, you know, it's a dirty thing to say, like uh, a delayed sign and trade like that. You know, if you sign Lowry to a long term deal, the, the risk in doing that, however, Chris, is like you're saying, if Lowry does sign that long term extension with Toronto, if you're another team, maybe you don't want that back. 
<laughs> maybe maybe you know the other team looks at that and they're like yeah yeah we're okay you know because a lot of teams have point guards in today's nba and maybe they're not they're not so willing to give up assets for that matter maybe there's not even a team that's a viable destination after free agency because a team that may have been interested in lowry may have signed another guy or drafted somebody you maybe maybe you'd be better off you know if you're gonna blow it up if you're gonna go that far Maybe you just do it during the summer. You you let Lowry walk or you trade to Rosen. The thing the thing that fascinates me though is you know from Masai Ujiri's press conference today is that you know he mentioned they need kind of a changing style of play and I think you know it's kind of obvious what he's probably talking about here and what's obvious is the fact that they play a, a vintage mid range game in an era where teams are winning by shooting threes and getting layups and you know if you're gonna change that if you're Masai how do you do it? Either one of two things needs to happen. Either DeMar DeRozan needs to extend his shooting range all the way from 15 feet to behind the three-point line. He's like a 45% three-point shooter from 5 to 19 feet. But from from outside that range, I believe it's like 26%. I forget the number I tweeted out the other day. Around 26%. He needs to replicate his immense success from the mid, low uh, low mid-range to deep mid-range and three-point range. And so far, you know, nine years into his career, however long it's been... He hasn't done that. He could do it. Theoretically, other guys have extended their range late in their careers, but most of them don't. So if maybe he's the guy you have to move away from, and maybe it's retaining Lowry. But even that has risks because of Lowry's age and the fact that he'll be super old by the time he does reach the end of his contract. Never mind the fact that we don't know what DeRozan would return in a trade either. Blowing it up is such a difficult equation. I mean, that, that's one of the things I kind of clarified in, in yesterday's article is that, you know, I can, I can easily say Raptors should blow it up. They should blow it up. But it, ma- it matters what the return on value is. Like, what can Ujiri get in return for Lowry if it's a trade? What can he get in return for DeMar DeRozan or any of those guys for that matter? That matters, and that factors into the equation. Whereas with the Bulls and Pacers, with, with George and Butler, I think they can probably get a lot for those guys. They, they are a higher-level star than I think Lowry and DeRozan are. Even the, Yeah, and DeRozan, I mean, he averaged 26 points a game, and he started the All-Star game and still... I think you and I are kind of on the same page, which is I don't know if somebody's given you like unprotected lottery and young stars and whatever. And that's kind of what you're I think that's what you're wanting if you're Indiana or you're Chicago for Butler or George. Right. You're wanting you're you're wanting some kind of great pick and then you're wanting some other pieces to go with it. Um, you you, like you know what you're going to find? You, you know what you're going to find, Chris? You're going to find a team that's willing to be you. You got to find a team that's willing to just be the Raptors. That that's what you need to find, and that's a harsh thing to say. But but if a team is trading, like let's say I don't want to I don't want to say a team make make it sound like a rumor. Like but let's just say theoretically the Orlando Magic won the draft lottery and they got like the number three pick, right? Let's just say that happened. You would want to target, you know, a team, you know, that has those top five picks and hope one of them is willing to give it up because they're willing to be mediocre to really good, but not great. That That's what you need to find. And I don't know if that team exists. I think if you're one of those teams, if you're the magic and you win the lottery, I think if you get that pick, you probably should keep it. I think a lot of those guys at the top of the draft this year have higher overall upside than yours. I know the grass is always greener. You know, the pro- probability is, is that they don't end up as good as DeRozan but you know what I think we kind of know who DeRozan is at this stage of his career and I I would almost rather play the odds and hope Markel Fultz does pan into that superstar or Lonzo Ball totally transcends the point guard position and becomes the next great passing point guard or Jason Tatum becomes the league's next great go-to scorer I'd rather play those odds even if it's more significant risk if I'm one of those teams rather than trading it for DeRozan but that's just me that's just me. It's I would really, rather do that. It's really hard because history will tell us you just don't get great return by trading great players. And we're kind of crapping on DeRozan. Is DeRozan a great player? Oh, come on. If you average 26 when points When I, I say game, great, I mean, I mean great. No, like when, great player. No, but when yeah. you start the All-Star game and average 26 points a game, come on. I mean, yeah. If DeRozan's I, I th- doing, I think one if, of, one of the things is teams teams wait too long. Teams wait too long to trade their stars. That's the other part of it, uh, and th- th- I think that's why this summer makes sense for Toronto. Well, I think it's a lot easier if, they wait, if, you if suck. they wait two two years. It's a lot yeah, it's easier. easier if you suck, but it's, it's a lot easier. Well, I mean, listen, I've lived through every different incarnation of this from from the team that 
should have blown it up to the team that didn't blow it up to the team that tried to build around the second tier star. I've lived it, man. Like I, I like I, I was, uh, you know, there was a, there's a very young team that was built around Pau Gasol and Shane Battier and other young players. And then it morphed into, you know, kind of Jerry West at the time built some guys around it, brought in some veteran guys and the team became a playoff team. And then they got swept in the playoffs and then they got swept in the playoffs again. And then the next year they got swept in the playoffs with Eddie Jones and Chucky Atkins and Mike Miller and all these different veteran guys. And then the team was horrible, right? That that was done, and the team was atrocious. And Pau Gasol was the best player on the team. I mean, you're talking like a 20-win. I mean, they're they're on pace to be a miserable basketball team, much like Sacramento in the in the in this in the with the Cousins thing. And so they looked up and they said, "All right, we suck anyway, right? So if you suck anyway and you've got an awesome player, what does it matter, <laughs> right? Like you might as well." And so they traded Powell, and they got absolutely murdered for it on the return they got. Now, as the years went on, clearly Marcus All was great return on that. Um, but Marcus All wasn't a lottery pick or anything. They just, I mean, it just hit. Um, and so the same way with Sacramento, I think it's a lot harder when you are pretty good because I. It's one of the things I was thinking of when I when I uh, when I knew we were going to be talking about this on the podcast. What if for a decade, Mark Cuban would have just said, it ain't good enough with Dirk Nowitzki? It's not. He's not. You know, it, now we look at Dirk differently now, but it's not. But if we go back in time and they were a number one seed that got knocked off and they had a lot of really good teams and they won 50 plus games over and over and over again and anywhere along the way. He could have just said, and while Dirk was considered a top 10, 15 player in the league, he could have just said, it's not good enough. But instead he said, you know what, man, I'm holding on to this guy. And we'll keep building different iterations. And then one year it hit, and they ended up winning the title. And so I wonder, right, if you've got one of those guys, it is just so hard to get them. And so if you are, if you've got Paul George or you've got Jimmy Butler or you've got whoever, and yeah, maybe you're not – top tier maybe you're not fighting for championships right now but you're a lot closer to it if you got one of those guys than if you don't and you're just playing the odds to try to get one and so anyway what do you think about that the idea that for years the only other team that didn't have what we would consider one of the greatest players ever forget the billups thing uh, and that and that pistons team you're talking about either had Shaq or kobe or you had duncan or you had lebron or you had curry um, and now maybe Durant, that the only other team that's in there that's kind of like the outlier, the one-off, is Dallas. And the, weren't they in this position several times where they could have gotten rid of Dirk, but instead they held on to him and then finally it broke their way once? I think I think you're largely making my point in many ways. That okay. I think So I think, I think Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki is one of those top 50 potentially all-time players I, I, I think he had a case for that before the title uh, I, I don't I don't think that made him into a top 50 NBA all-time player I think his prime came before that and that's why you keep a guy like that D- Dirk Nowitzki are the guys you're trying to find they're they're the only players you know historically besides that Pistons team that you're going to win titles with and those are the players I want to trade up and try to find but I would tell you he's not he was not draft. viewed like that he he was not viewed I know he like wasn't that. he I, I and he definitely wasn't in the draft. He went like, uh, was it ninth or 10th, something like that in the draft? Right. Those guys can be found, you know, they're not always number one, number two picks, but oftentimes, if you look historically at, at each draft, even that Pistons team, they had three top seven picks on their roster. They, they didn't have a, a, a top 50 NBA player or a top five player, but they did have three top seven picks on their, on their, in their starting five. And with Dirk, he, he he wasn't he he wasn't viewed by that by a lot of people, but he was by others too though. Ten if you look ten years ago, I think you would find that a lot of people looked at him as just kind of the, the weird big man that can shoot threes. You know, he was different from everybody else in that sense when everybody was still playing inside for the most part. But Dirk still had a case for being that 
that you know new age center you know the new age big man and i think he i think by a lot of people he was considered a potential one of the greatest big men you know of this era and those are the players that you need man i i you mentioned paul george and jimmy butler i don't view them on that same level i don't view them as that guy that you need to keep i view jimmy butler as the guy you, you potentially need to trade up from you jimmy butler isn't going to be your best player on a championship team paul george can be i think we saw him average like 30 the last month and a half into the playoffs he can do that but he hasn't sustained that over the course of a full season that that's always kind of perplexed me in some ways i wonder if it you know it's it, one of the one of the knocks with paul george prior to the draft was that he was kind of passive and I, I i think in a sense perhaps maybe that's what we even still see now that he he is a little bit passive and he isn't going to take that next step to that really you know next level player and those are the guys that i want so if any indiana you know i would have tried to do everything i could to keep paul george but i think that time has passed with the the threat of the lakers looming in free agency next year and the fact that they could potentially maximize, you know, an immense return this summer. I think that outweighs the risk of losing Paul George. They, they've crossed that line, essentially. Then with Jimmy Butler, I just don't view him anywhere near the level of, you know, Dirk Nowitzki as, like, best player on a championship team. I think Butler's really, 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 really good, but I don't think he's a great player like Dirk Nowitzki. And I think Paul George has, has that upside, but he hasn't really quite shown it, which which I, I wish he would. I wish we could see that more consistently from him. Yeah. I, I just think the goal needs to be finding those guys. They, yeah, you know, I know, you I know. Lock, but I'm saying, with, but with, I'm a, saying, with a 10 to 30 pick, or you trade up into, into guys that are no da, no da, that they, this guy's a high probability of being that. And you might be right. You might be right in the sense that uh, that you can find that. I'm just saying, there's a lot of revisionist history that goes on with Dirk. He just it. He was the conversation of he can't be that guy until he was. Right, we do this all the time in sports. You're not the guy. Should until that have you... been the conversation, though? Like, sh- like, like ten years ago, should that have been the conversation? Well, I think that, we like be... that's my thing. Is like, should people have been asking that? People ask that question about LeBron. Can LeBron win the big one? Can Alex Rodriguez win win a, a World Series with the Yankees? That that's what the questions people ask about. Can Peyton Manning win a Super Bowl? It's like I don't know. These players are the greatest all time players. It's their teams. Like I I don't think a championship necessarily defines a player's greatness necessarily. Like in my opinion, I think it's more so the team's responsibility to put that player you know in a position where they can elevate to that level that and and it's disappointing when guys like charles barkley you know they don't reach that level i i i wish that they could all win titles but they all aren't fortunate enough to play on those teams that can and, and well, dirk and, dirk oh, dirk had the roster construct that worked eventually obviously the bulls have done a bad job building around butler but there, here's two things first i wonder this if Rondo doesn't get hurt, it's not implausible that the Bulls go to the finals. East East finals, I mean. I mean that. If Rondo doesn't get hurt, I do not think it's implausible that they would have been in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I have to take that into consideration. Secondly, just two games though, man. Huh? There's just two there's just two games though. We we've talked about this like a bunch of times where like, you know, it's hard to avoid, you know, falling into the peaks and valleys of team success and failure, right? But with that, that was just two games. That's they, just they, my they opinion. Could have I apart think the next four. I I think I think Chicago would have won the series. I do. If Rondo doesn't get hurt. I don't and I don't think that's the hottest take ever. They were up two zip. Teams that are up two zip win um in an inordinate amount of times. So, the second thing is on the Paul George thing, it feels like it's gone too far. And yes, Larry Bird is, you know, walking away from it. I think that is a sign that he knows that Paul George thing and that air is over. There's already all the rumors about him wanting to go to LA, et cetera, et cetera. And so I do think you got to figure out what you're doing with him and just try to get returned. Because I don't think he wants to re-sign there in the first place. It doesn't feel like Lowry particularly wants to re-sign with Toronto and run it back. The interesting one is the Butler one because I don't know what kind of I don't I don't know if you're going to get good enough return and you still got one of the best players in the league in his prime and I know they're hamstrung in a lot of ways but I they're not crappy. They're not crappy and they could have won. I really think they could have it, it's one of those where you can you can really make mistakes on this because if I'm wrong 
and they wouldn't have beaten Boston and they would end up, then it, then the picture becomes much, much, much clearer, right? But the fact that I've got that in my mind, that if they would have beat Boston, I don't think it's crazy to think they could have won in the next round too. I mean, if you we could go back and listen to our podcast after game two of the Celtics and the Bulls. And you know what everybody was saying? God, man, should have seen this coming. Celtics weren't that good the last couple months of the season. The best guy on the court is Jimmy Butler. You got all this playoff experience. Dwayne Wade is knocking down every three. Bobby Portis is killing him. Miritich is killing him. Paul, uh, what's his dick, is killing him, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what was happening after game two. Paul, what's his dick? What's his name? Zipser? <laughs> Paul Zipser. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're killing Sorry, him. That was good. <laughs> and, but that's what, that's what the conversation was after game two of the Bulls series. And so that's why I'm a little torn on their situation. Plus, they were so much better in those first two games than they had been in. Like it was like out of nowhere. Like, wait, where did this was that our conversation though, Chris? Yes, I I feel I recall our conversation like, whoa, you know, we we knew the Celtics, you know, team. Oh, you were done with the Celtics ever. You were done with them. No, we weren't. No, we weren't. Listen, we can listen back to the to the conversation, and the conversation was the same thing I, I just said to you. It was just two games. You know, we'll see how this goes the rest of the series. It can turn around quickly, and it did turn around quickly. Was that because of Rondo's injury? A big part of it definitely was. That was certainly a big part of it. However, the Celtics also figured things out and you know got into their groove offensively got into a better groove defensively so that series changed quickly and maybe it would have with rondo maybe it wouldn't have i have no damn idea we really can't know because it didn't happen it's just all all a big if but i i don't i don't recall i remember that conversation that was happening on twitter and social media and the radio and everything but i remember our conversation was a little bit hesitant like this might be for real but maybe it's not like and like maybe let's let another game go by before you know we say celtics are dead you know worst one seed ever you know bulls we underestimated them i i remember us you know kind of not taking a side there because think it about, was hard to look at just two think games about how and much say, different everything otherwise. is think about how let's just let's just hypothetical rondo doesn't get hurt and the bulls win that series think about how much differently we feel about the two franchises and the teams I no differently, zero oh, bull difference, crap. none. Bull crap. But why would I feel any different about the Bulls? Why would I feel any different about the Celtics? What matters for the Celtics moving forward is the fact that they have max. Can they? They can create max cap space this summer, and they potentially have the number one pick in the draft. That's what matters. They <laughs> the potentially have the number one pick in the draft next year too. This That's what asinine. matters for them. They have a chance at the Eastern Conference Finals, and they've got home yeah, court. They are- guess what? Guess what? I guarantee you, I I, I would will be willing to bet. I would be willing to bet that if Celtics fans were polled, would you rather, if you polled Celtics fans, would you rather, and tweet me with this, I'm curious to know, would you rather the team beat the Wizards or get the number one pick in the draft? What would you rather have? But that's not a choice to make. I know, but what I'm saying is I'm arguing in terms of importance, and you're saying they have a chance at the Eastern Conference Finals. And what I'm saying is I think a lot of fans would rather have the number one pick. If it's the fourth pick in the Eastern Conference Finals or the one pick in losing the series, those two extremes. You're setting up a scenario where you don't have to choose between the two. You can do both. Yeah. yeah, and we're setting up a scenario where Rondo stays healthy when he didn't. It's hypotheticals, man. That, that, that's okay, what but I'm here's what like, I'm saying. Here, the idea that the idea that you wouldn't view the Celtics differently, and whether they should re up on Isaiah Thomas uh, for a massive deal, extend him in the summer, everything. I, I still if, think that. I still think that. But hold on I still now. Think I'm that saying risk in that the idea that you would not feel you would not think differently about the Celtics if they would have gotten bounced in the first round by an eight seed versus if they make the Eastern Conference Finals is just it's preposterous. What? What? Oh, or I don't know if we're t- are we talking about bouncing the first? How many games are we talking here? Are we talking they get swept by the Bulls? Are we talking they go seven versus the Cavaliers? No, let's say I it mean, plays. The, out. Let's that, say they that, win a couple that, of games. That, 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 those and, those nuances matter in, in, in like in terms of how I would feel if they get if they get blown out the next two games and they get swept by the Bulls versus they go seven versus Cleveland. I feel different. But if they if they lose in seven to the Bulls versus getting swept in Cleveland or whatever, I don't. View you 
it that differently. It doesn't really change my evaluation of them going forward. There's still risk in giving a five-year extension to Isaiah Thomas. There's still risk in bringing back the, the band you know, with what they have. There's still risk in that, but it doesn't change the fact that the most important pieces on this team is their draft picks. That's the most important part. They are either the money that will get them that star level player in return through trade or using the pick or they they will end up being, you know, players that you say, "Damn it, they missed on this guy." And, and depending on what happens in the lottery and the guys they have opportunities at, depending on what happens with the next next year and what pick they get next next year's draft in 2018. There's those are the picks that I think really change their franchise more than them winning a series in the 2017 playoffs. I think those are the things that set them up for a title more than anything else that could could have happened this round or last round. All right, Kevin, we'll get back to everything after this. But first, a few words from our sponsors. Ringer NBA show today is brought to you by Saks. If you think all men's underwear is the same, let me tell you, it's not. You've got to try Saks underwear. Once you do, you won't want to wear any other brand. Saks has figured out how to innovate men's underwear to make it the most comfortable, supportive underwear that you've ever tried. I love my Saks underwear. In fact, this weekend I went out and played golf. And you know, when you're going to be walking around a golf course all day, and it was like 80 degrees outside, the last thing you want is wet underwear bunching up or chafing while you're out on a golf course all day. Saks is the absolute best for everyday wear. Whether you're an athlete, you're going to go play something on the weekends. No matter what you're into, they've got you covered. I love their Vibe Boxer Briefs. Great for everyday wear, super soft fabric, cool patterns, great fit. And for working out, try their Kinetic Collection. Semi-compression fit boxers, very breathable, moisture wickening. Those are fantastic. Those are the ones I had on on Sunday. Every pair of sacks includes their unique ballpark pouch design. Keep everything in place so you can keep moving around freely and no chafing. I want you to try Saks underwear with my special limited time deal. Go to my URL, saxunderwear.com slash NBA, and you'll get 20% off your first purchase. I promise you're going to love these. Go to Saks, S-A-X-X, underwear.com slash NBA. That's Saks with two X's for 20% off your first purchase. Go to saxunderwear.com slash NBA. All right, we do need to talk about these other two series uh, real quickly. Uh, first, Boston and the Wizards. It's game five. All right, both of these, I am a little bit shocked by this, Kevin. When you go to, like, BPI and you do, like, uh, what percentage they have to win the series, I was kind of surprised to see Boston is a 63% chance to win the series and the Spurs were 65% chance to win the series. And, I, I mean... If I had, I know they've got home court advantage right now, but I kind of favor the other two. I've been more impressed, I think, through four games with the Wizards and the Rockets than I have Boston and the Spurs. Um, but who am I to argue with a, a computer matrix? What do you think about that? That we're best two out of three. They've obviously got home court advantage, but that Boston is a 63% chance to win the series and San Antonio a 65% chance to win the series. So at, at one point, BPI had the Celtics as a better chance of, of winning the NBA title you know, over the Cavaliers. Maybe it still does. I don't know what the update it is, and, and that's my response. Is At one point, BPI favored the Celtics over the Cavaliers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're just crapping on BPI. We give it no credence. I see that's changed now. I pulled it up. Forty nine percent for Cavaliers, twenty nine percent for Boston. That's more like it. I think. I think that's that's much more accurate. It even doesn't go far enough um, in terms of how much Cleveland should be favored. Uh, I, I just think you know it's remarkable okay. how at one point this, you know this, Celtics were favored over the Cavaliers. This is so what it comes all. down to: is San Antonio and Houston, right? It feels like, and you, you've. I think the Nene injury hurts. I actually think if. If Houston can beat San Antonio, it hurts more in the next series against the Warriors than it does right now against San Antonio. That being said, so I do I do think it is significant that they lost Nene um, if they are to play the Warriors. That being said, it is it's abundantly clear they're either going to hit a bunch of threes or they're not. And I thought after Game Four, which is the one that uh, I'm sorry, Game Three which is the first game in Houston, the one that the Spurs won by 11 points. 
I'm watching that game, and I'm watching the Spurs run them off the three-point line. I'm watching them guard the rim well. I'm watching LaMarcus Aldridge look like, damn, Akeem Olajuwon. They're just throwing it in, and he has got this. You watch games like that, and his talent, it makes you so frustrated that he's not better than he is, even though he is remarkably skilled. Um, But he's getting buckets, and it feels like that lane's open. If they wanted to go hit some jumpers, if they wanted to go hit some little runners, that they could do it. But they just, they're going to live and die playing the way they play. And there's a there's this extreme randomness uh, that is possible when you play like that. Um, and sometimes you mash the team and sometimes you look terrible. It I guess the question was always, can they do it four times out of seven times? And so now they've done it twice out of four. And there's three games left. And so what do we think? I kind of think they will. I kind of think the Rockets will. They're clearly going to do what they do. And it's either going to work or it won't. But I think the Rockets are going to beat them. I, I said Rockets in five before the series, which was really dumb. Well, that, that ain't happening. <laughs> that, was a dumb thing. That, that, that was a dumb thing for me to say. <laughs> hey, j- um, hey, just say Rockets so, in so six. I, 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 yeah, Rockets and six. <laughs> there, there we go. Off by only one game. Only one game. <laughs> uh, I agree with you, Chris. I, I think, you know, look, I, I don't want to say things changed in game four because things also changed in games two and three, <laughs> right? You know, th- things can swing back the other way. Uh, I, I just, you know, I'm fascinated by, by the series in the sense that, you know, San Antonio is baiting them into mid-range jumpers by staying home on the three-point shooters and by, you know, really packing in, you know, the restricted area. They're they're baiting them, daring them, double-dog daring the Rockets into they make, taking mid-range jumpers, and they won't. <laughs> That's not part of their offensive system. It, it's just, it's kind of funny to see this because it's it's so unlike anything we've seen before with the Houston Rockets do, you know, with taking the amount of threes and layups that they do uh, as, as compared to every other team. And so San Antonio, well, in some ways, might be laying a blueprint defensively you know what that you know what that you know what it's like you know what it felt like because of course i i thought the rockets were going to win and so i'm sitting there screaming at the screen like will you please just go into the lane and take eight footers like could you do that <laughs> like this is this is just stupid and you know what it felt like it feels like if if we were watching a football game and a team put eight men in the box every time and you just refuse to throw the ball right like we're not we know you are going to you're going to you're going to bring everybody up to the line of scrimmage but we're running it. We don't care. We're running it. That's what we do and we're going to run the ball. And then when it when it when it when the the success rate is p- pathetic, you're like, "Why wouldn't you just throw the ball?" Right? That's exactly how game 3 felt. And then you watch game 4 and it's like, "Well, I get, I mean, geez, They're either just going to hit 23s or they're not. And if they do, you, you, you're going to have a really tough time beating them. But they're just – they're going to do do them. They're going to be what they are. I am surprised. You bring up an, you, you bring up an interesting point, Chris. I, I like the eight-man-in-the-box uh, analogy there. It, it, it's, it's fascinating. It's just fascinating. It, it, like, Harden will drive and, you know – he. You know, instinctively, he probably, you know, would take that pull-up jumper. That's probably the way he's played his entire life until he got to Houston, or until, for that matter, this season to an extreme extent, or last year. Uh, that's probably instinctively what, what he knows to do. That's what he what he probably in some ways maybe wants to do or feels like is right, instinctively right. But, you know, looking at the analytics of the numbers, their style of play asks their players to not take mid-range jumpers. You look at their shot charts and you see little little dots from mid-range occasionally, but for the most part, everything's at the rim. Everything's behind the three-point arc, and that's what they seek out regardless of how the defense yeah. plays them. And, and, and that's thought- what they got in game four. They got them. They got those open shots. They got uh, open threes, you know, despite the fact San Antonio was baiting them into taking mid-range jumpers. When they I still just got thought- the shots that they needed after watching Conley just make hay from six to 12 feet the entire series I'm like Harden's gonna destroy these guys because <laughs> I mean if Mike Conley could get there and just that 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 runner is available that little floater and of course he could shoot it with both hands but if that floater is available like Beverly can hit that shot and Harden can hit that shot and you know Gordon if he gets to 12 feet he can hit that shot and they just They'd rather just jack it up. 
I don't I don't get it, but whatever. Um, I'm surprised. Can't, can't blame him, man. It's, it's all about the numbers. I know nothing has been competitive in this series. Um, you know, I think what the closest game was 11. Was a little surprised to see Houston a five and a half point underdog tonight. I kind of think Houston's going to win tonight. Five and a half? That's kind of a lot, right? Uh, there's got to be there's got to be close games coming. There has I, to you be, know, right? These teams, there has to be, man. And, and that's one of the been the big disappointments of the, this year's playoffs is just nothing's been really that close. We've had some good games, you know. Celtics Wizards went to overtime. That was close. But at the same time, it still ended up, you know, a, a big differential within the overtime. There wasn't a buzzer beater, and the second round is just really bland, really bland. And I hope, I hope the Rockets and Spurs and, and the Wizards and Celtics can can really provide some serious, real, real entertainment for their final three games of the series. I want, I want some buzzer beaters, man. I, I want some grinded out overtime games. And Rockets Spurs would be the best for that, just because of their just different styles, style of play how it's such just, a remarkable series on paper how just how about like any game that's in the balance with five minutes left i i, I take that at that point yeah. right any anything that has not been decided by the time we tip off the fourth quarter or by the time that there's five minutes left in the game but all of these games seemingly are decided by that point half of them you can turn off by the time the first fourth quarter starts and the rest of them you can certainly turn off by five minutes left, and you're not going to miss anything. Um, that being said, you've got the Wizards and Celtics, and they're not going to play game six. This is a long break, is it not? I mean, for them to be playing on a Wednesday after they hadn't played since the weekend is weird, but whatever. Um, they're going to play game six tomorrow night, and much like I was talking about with the Wiz- or with the uh, the Rockets and the Spurs, though the Wizards are the underdog right now in that series, it is not a super heavy underdog. And I look at it and go, they're up double digits twice in Boston, and they couldn't extend that momentum or hold on to those leads. But even in game two, it went to overtime. They had two shots to win it. They should have won that game. And it took that 53 out of Isaiah Thomas and that ridiculous fourth quarter in overtime for them even to get to that point. After four games, I I know the, the bench is still a big problem, I think the Wizards are better than the Celtics. I do. They have the they have the best player in the series, John ain't, Wall. Ain't no I think that matters. That. Yep. Uh, um, I th- I think it's very evenly matched, though, Chris. I I think one one of the things we saw in the first two games of that series is just how much Boston's bench production needs to matter. You know, they need to get an edge over Washington. Um, the the, the Washington's bench is rel- relatively weak, especially compared to Boston, which can be strong. And and it was really bad the last two games in Washington for the Boston Celtics and and that's something that can't happen because the Wizards starting five you know you can make arguments that the Celtics are better but I think there's also a lot of arguments to be made that Washington has a better starting five and perhaps it's one of the big reasons it's just an inherent talent you know conversation and that's why they're getting off to big leads early in games I'm not sure I totally feel that way. I think you know a lot of it uh, comes down to e- execution for the Celtics. I think a lot of it comes down to a, a lot of lack of familiarity with some of the guys. Like they're putting Gerald Green in the starting five one game, then Amir Johnson the next. In some ways, I wonder if you just need to pick something and stick to it. Uh, I'd like to see them put Jalen Brown in the starting five and you know have a little bit more energy and speed and athleticism to start off games. I think that could be more helpful, more so than Gerald Green, who can't defend, and Amir Johnson, who can't move anymore. More, uh, I think that might be a potential solution for them. I don't know if it'll uh, solve the problem, but it might help. But the big differential need for the Celtics needs to come on the bench because Washington, in many ways, has has really closed the gap by making slight tweaks to their um, to their rotations, which has allowed their bench to, I think, not have no wall and no Beal on the floor at the same time. Do you think that tomorrow night's game will decide the series? maybe <laughs> uh, I think it's going seven at this point you do so okay. no so, and so no, no. Uh, not not really no so no you do but not. maybe but no <laughs> I mean it, well then that what means you, you Chris that means you think Boston's gonna win because you're, you're expecting that Washington's I, I, gonna win game six at home yeah I, I think yeah. I think Boston will win the series in seven uh, I still give them the edge I still think they have the better overall team and, and usually that team wins Washington might not 
uh, might Washington might rise to the occasion. John Wall might keep playing unbelievably. Uh, I, I think a lot of the things he's doing for that team go beyond the numbers. He's putting up good numbers, but so much of what he's do- what he's doing, you know, just comes from the pace and the energy yeah. he's playing with. When no, the Celtics right. miss, Wall is just turboing up the floor. It's ridiculous. Well, and, l- and let me just say this. Okay, from top to bottom talent-wise, I think Boston is superior. But there are sometimes where just having the best guy can elevate it the most. And Wall has just been so absurd that I think it is it has elevated them to the point where I I just think they're better. I do. I think they're their starting five is just immense. Now, once you get past that, it's trash, but He's just so good, and I think it's possible we just go, he was the best player in this series, and he, you know, he lifted their boat that high. And the, and the other part of it, is, you know, for Cel- the Celtics is, you know, versus the Wizards, the Wizards are getting help from their complimentary guys. I think Otto Porter had a big game four, whereas Avery Bradley's playing hurt. He, he had a hit pointer. Yep. Um, he, he hasn't been producing. Jay Crowder had a very bad game four um, for the Celtics, N- not just offensively two for nine from the field for six points, but defensively he had some really poor moments on that end as well. I I, 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 those guys are, you know, we talk about with the Wizards' depth, you know, they need help from Otto Porter, they need help from Markeith Morris alongside Wall and Beal. The Celtics can't get everything from Isaiah Thomas. Earlier you mentioned he had to score 53 points for them to win in Game 2. That, that that inherently is a problem when, like we talked about with the Thunder, when everything needs to come from one player, you need it to be distributed, I think, to, to sustain success a little bit more so over the course of a series. Because Isaiah, if he scores 53 again it would be a miracle for the Celtics uh if they need him to score 53 again I think you might be in trouble because he could score 50 in a loss too if they're because if he needs to score 50 it means that they're not getting enough from others on the team and that's that's really what they need he is Kevin O'Connor aka Kevin O'Bomber go read everything on the uh ringer.com that Kevin is putting out about the playoffs <laughs> as he runs around town with his lighter ready for any team that might take a potential <laughs> playoff Blow loss, it up! and any, Blow it up! <laughs> anyone that anyone that falls short of a championship ring gets flushed down the toilet, and their franchise gets lit on fire. <laughs> mm. It's all, hey man, all about all about winning titles. It's oh, all it's about. I just want I just want to win. Just want to yeah, win, Chris. You speak about, you speak like somebody that has grown up in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> Just, just want to win, Chris. Hey, it must be nice. The rest just of us have win. had to enjoy sports our whole lives, not having a damn parade every friggin' spring for somebody. It's what it's all about. It's all, all what it's about, Chris. I'm aware. <laughs> I'm aware. Kevin, we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks, brother. Oh, hey man, have a great no, no, no. Night. Hold on. One more thing. I listened Whoa. to your draft Uh-oh, podcast. Ending. Yeah, yeah. I got I to gotta get one more. Uh, let me let me pull out the AK real quick. I got to get a couple more shots in. I listened to the podcast, the draft podcast. I really liked it. You and Charks, the the draft one, right? Thank you. Let me just do a little Thank pet. Pe- let me do a little pet peeve here. And this is not about you. This is about me and about everybody that covers the NBA. This is what we got to stop doing when it comes to draft analysis. Okay, we got to stop talking about guys can be like Draymond Green, because being like Draymond Green is. I think even more rare than being like a super duper star. And we keep on saying this with all of these guys. And I think it, in some ways it, it, it devalues the rarity of him. He is elite at almost everything you can do on a basketball court. He is a tweener. Who's got these freakishly long arms He had a triple-double last night in the closeout game. He had one of the great finals games in history that was only overwhelmed by Cleveland winning that game seven last year. And I feel like because we don't view him as a super-duper top-five player in the league star that the comparisons become easy. Like if we were to say, oh, he can be like Steph Curry, people are like, get the hell out of here. He's not going to be like Steph Curry. But we do it all the time with Draymond. And it's like anybody that doesn't – that we don't think is going to be a surefire 10-year superstar, but he could be like Draymond, and I think it just devalues what he is. I'm guilty of it too, right? But he is, and I think trying to find a Draymond-like player is just a fool's errand. I think there's literally one of him, and for whatever reason, we feel like 
he's the attainable type of guy. But he is no more the attainable type of guy than a superstar. What do you think? I, I think I think you know to defend you know Charks's article on Friday. It, in many ways, what he means is like that player type. I don't think he means that they can become Draymond. He means like that mold of a player. However, I I agree with you that you know a lot of a lot of the stuff out there is like he can be Draymond. He can he can be that player. And it's like the thing that separates Draymond Green is and I said this on yesterday's podcast is that that dude is an ass kicker, man. A lot of what he does comes down to personality. And I don't think there's many guys in the league who have personality. I think, you know, we make fun of and we knock Draymond Green for some of his dirty plays or some of the things, the wild, crazy things that he says. But I think the other side of that, what kind of relates to that, that insanity in some ways is that's what makes him just who he is as a defensive player. He's a maniac on defense, and that's what makes him so elite in, in many ways. It's just he's always grinding at 150%. And, you know, the guys that we talked about on the podcast yesterday, Jonathan Isaac, OG Ananobi, those guys can become great defenders, and they can sort of play that role. There are other guys in the league who can do that too, but none of them have Draymond's mind. And Draymond Green's mind is what makes him into the defensive player of the year that he is. Kevin, we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks, buddy. Hey, man. Talk soon. Kevin O'Connor. Thanks for listening to another Ringer NBA show. If you dig what you're hearing, take a little time. Go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you on Thursday.